born October 31st, 1902. He was born in Australia and Hungary, that, that, that region that was now Romania. As a Jew, he wasn't able to attend school on Saturdays, which was the custom at that time. And, and, and the religious orthodox said, we, we don't go to school on, on Saturdays. And so he was homeschooled by his parents, but they were great teachers. In fact, in 1928, he graduated with mathematics from the King Ferdinand the First University. While he was doing that, he entered graduate school at the University of Vienna, and in 1931 graduated with a Ph.D. in mathematics. But because he was a Jew during that time, Austrians' discrimination against the Jews was not able for him to obtain a university position. But they began to work it through. When Nazi Germany annexed Austria in 1938, that discrimination against the Jews became so great that Wald and his family immigrated to the United States and they he came to the Cowles Commission for Research and Economics to work on research there. During World War II, he was a member of the statistical research group at Columbia University. He applied his statistical skills. He sampled. One of the things that this group did was they wanted to find out how they could help the damage to aircrafts. They watched the aircrafts come back shot up and destroyed and how could we maximize their protection and minimize the loss that they had. Listen to me for a moment. One of the things he pioneered at least, or if he didn't pioneer it, he was very instrumental in it, is called survivorship bias. Survivorship bias is the logical error error of concentrating on things or people that make it past some selection process and overlook those that didn't. And I'm going to give you, it's funny, and I, I, I realize there's something serious right now, but this is the easiest way I can describe it. In 1987, there was a study performed that reported that cats who fell from less than six stories and were still alive had greater injuries to cats that fell more than six stories and were alive. Again, my evil mind pictures sadistic scientists tossing cats off. But they proposed in their study because they said, we've looked at cats that fell from six stories or less, and they have more injuries than cats that fell from more than six stories. And they proposed that cats reach terminal velocity after riding themselves at about five stories and at this point perhaps they relax leading to less severe injuries in cats who have fallen from six or more stories. However in 2008 they begin to debunk that research and they understood it was survivorship bias because cats that die in falls were probably not brought to the vet. And so the only information they had were cats that survived and were injured because they based their knowledge off of veterinary studies. They didn't realize that there were hundreds and thousands of cats that died from falls, but they didn't have that information. During World War II, this statistician, Abraham Wald, took survivorship bias into his calculations when he began to think about how could we minimize bomber losses to enemy fire. For you see, researchers from the Center of Naval Analytic, whatever that word is, had conducted a study of damage done to aircraft that had returned from missions and had recommended that armor be added. This picture here is one of the pictures they used. 
every bomber that landed, they would go and, and, and find out where was it shot, where was it hit, where did it suffer damage, and then they begin to compile this, and they begin to look, and the, the scientists at the Naval Center of Analytics said, well, obviously, we need to strengthen the wingtips or the mid-fuselage, or we need to strengthen the, 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 the tail. And they were getting ready to do that. But Abraham Wald noted something. He said this study only considered the aircraft that survived their missions. They did not consider the aircrafts that had been shot down and lost. They didn't go find the aircrafts at the bottom of the sea and find out where they were shot because Abraham realized this. The reason you don't see damage to the cockpit or the engines is because the aircraft that were hit in the cockpit or the engines did not come home. And so what he proposed rather is he said, you're going about it all wrong. This is proving, this is showing that our aircraft can sustain an incredible amount of damage on the wingtips and the body and on the tail and they can still make it home. We don't need to do anything there. Now I could take this a whole other direction. I could focus on the ones that were lost. I could focus on the ones that didn't make it home. I could focus on the ones that aren't here today. The ones that somewhere in their life they got bitter or they got bent out of shape or they got hurt or sin came in and they didn't make it home. And I could talk all day long about the ones that crashed and burned. But let me show you something else. In all of war, there's a bunch of videos that are about to play. But there's a lot of ones that they took amazing amounts of damage. These videos that you'll see here in a moment they were crash landing on flat top aircraft carriers but they were able to walk away they were able to sustain amazing amount of damages I know today there are some of you here that you have limped into church and you have suffered shrapnel damage to your plane but listen to me you made it you're here you're alive I know you have wounds. I know that you have scars. I know you limped in on one engine and you don't have enough strength to lift up one hand. But here's the thing. You made it. You walked out of the cockpit. You said, devil, you thought you had me. You threw everything you could at me. You tried to do everything humanly possible. But I made it. Somebody needs to listen to me right now. I, I, I know we can focus on the losses. I know that we can focus on the ones that didn't come home. But I would rather focus on you today, the one that made it, the one that's here, the one that walked in. It's not over in your life yet. It's not over in the things that you're going through. You are alive. I can just see light bulbs going off in the heads of those brilliant minds at the Naval Analytical Research Facility. When Abraham Wald began to explain to them, you're going about it all wrong. My, my grandfather flew airplanes in World War II. He didn't talk about it much, so I don't have a lot of history. But I know his job was to land that, that P, uh, PBY Catalina seaplane on the raging ocean in the middle of Midway, in the middle of those battles. And he would land that gigantic plane on the water. And the old frog men would jump out and they would rescue the bomber, the, the, those that were lost uh, at sea and bring them into the plane. And he'd take off in the middle of fighting. 
But I can imagine some of these. Can I, I can see the engineer and the, and, the, and the mechanics coming and saying, hey, I don't mind working on an airplane wing. I can fix a bullet hole. I can fix a little bit of damage that is there. It may be a minute before you fly again. It may be a minute before I get you back up. But I'd much rather patch a wing than patch a cockpit where you were lost. And we got to send a telegram to your mom and your dad and say we're sorry to inform you. But so and so didn't make it alive home. Hey, I can repair the airplane. I can repair the damage. And as long as you made it home, it'll take whatever we can do to repair what happened in your life. But listen, it's not over if you're you're here it's not over if you're still praying it's not over if you're still believing it's not over if you're still fighting it's not over if you're still coming to church it's not over if you're still reading your Bible it's not over Come on, I know the wicked are saying, like they did in Micah chapter 10, when the enemy looks and sees the shame on you and says, where is the Lord your God? I know the enemy likes to remind you like Psalms 42.3, when you've said my tears have been my food day and night, and they're saying to me all the day long, where is your God? Psalmist said in Psalms 42.10, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say all the day long, Where is your God? On and on in various places, the enemy taunts and says, Hey, you got shot down. Hey, you didn't, you, you know, you, you're not flying anymore. Look, your airplane's been destroyed. Where is your God? The response that ought to be first and foremost on your lips is a response that you can lift up your head and you can look the enemy in the eye and say as Micah said in 7-8, Rejoice not over me, hold my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. It's not over. The enemy thought he could come in like a flood. The enemy thought he could destroy marriages and he could destroy your health and he could destroy your confidence and he could come in and shoot holes all through your faith in God. He thought he could do all of that, but what he didn't realize is the moment you walked into this building and you limped in with smoke trailing out of one, air, uh, one engine and one wing flapping in the wind and you bounced off the runway of that carrier, but you walked out of that cockpit, you were dead and you were confused and you may not have known what end was up or down but can I tell you today if you're here it's not over As a pastor, I will do my very best to try to reach the ones who are lost at sea. As a pastor, I will do my best to try to find the prodigals. I will do my best to try to help someone that the devil obliterated their life and they are foundering lost as lost can be. But I would much prefer to deal with someone that lands on an aircraft carrier and steps out of a shot down vehicle and say, I know I messed up. I know I should have zigged when I zagged. I know I shouldn't have engaged when I did but at least I'm home I'll learn from it whatever it takes get me back in the plane fix the wing fix the engine give me time I gotta get back in the fight it ain't over <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 simply says this finally brethren 
Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So therefore, take on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in this evil day. And when you've done all you can do, stand firm. Stand. Therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, stand having put on the breastplate of righteousness, stand uh, uh, with the shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all of the circumstances, take up the shield of faith by which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the, of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And all in all throughout that, you hear the same line, stand. I don't like standing. It is genetically ingrained in every one of us not to stand. Fight or flight. I have watched some of you because I am an evil person sometimes. And I pull into the, the parking lot. And I gun the engine and I slam on the brakes right in front of you, some of you, you young ladies, and I honk the horn as loud as I can. And I will tell you who fight and flight. Because some of you will go absolutely catatonic and you would let the car hit you. Some of you are ready to pound a dent in the front because you're like, Pastor, what are you doing? It's not in our nature to just stand, it's not in our nature. To just realize that sometimes you can't run away from it and sometimes you can't fight it. But you can put on the whole armor of God and you can stand. You can stand against the devil. You can withstand the devil. And when all else fails, you simply stand and say, I may have to absorb a lot of damage. I may have to let the bullets come. I may have to let the damage come. But I'm not giving up. I'm not turning around. Knock me down if you want. But rejoice not against me. Oh, my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. It ain't over. Funny thing is, I asked Brother Randall Lee to make me a sermon slide. And he made me a sermon slide, and we put it in our Dropbox folder for our media. And there was already a sermon slide that said it ain't over. I said, well, who preached that? He said, I did. I must have been out of town. I don't know when it was. He said he preached on, on Samson. Samson had wasted his life. There is no other way around it. He wasted his life. Crazy women and, 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 and just played with the gifts that God gave him. He wasted it. And I'm not trying to re-preach your sermon. I'm sure it was incredible. But you said it was just that moment where you're in the dungeon. Samson's hair began to grow back and Samson began to realize it ain't over come on I'm here today to tell someone no matter what you've gone through no matter what you have faced no matter what damage you have absorbed no matter how many bullet holes are in the cockpit and the wings and the fuselage of your plane no matter even if you're wounded and you're hurting even if you're weak from loss of blood it does not matter today <coughs> because the thing is you're 
here. We're not combing the vast abyss of this world trying to find the one that didn't make it home. I'm not, I'm not calling and texting and Facebooking and trying to find someone that's no longer answering my calls and I realize later they've backslidden and they've worn away and I'm not combing the, the waters for a down pilot. Oh, I'm looking at survivors. I'm looking at those that made it. I'm looking at those that limped in, but you're here. And there's a miracle in this place. Because as long as that airplane hit the deck, they can fix it. And if they can't fix it, they can take parts off of it and put it on one that needed it so you can get back up and do what you were called to do and fly. And so it is today, I'm telling you, no matter how damaged your airport airplane is, no matter how much you have looked at defeat in the eyes, you're here today and it's not over. God is about to help you and it may take a moment for repair and it may take a moment to get everything back and you may need to recuperate in sick bay for a little bit but I promise you, we're going to put you behind that cockpit again and we're going to let you fly because it ain't over. And so I want you to stand all across this building. We have preached this morning that you need to be here so that God can minister to you. That if you are in the presence of God, then you are right where you need to be. Because God, and we, we, we gave you a bunch of, 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 of stories that showed that it mattered where you were when God would call you. And you're here. And we've been in the presence of God and because of that, God is going to move. I watched as they sung that last song, and they're going to sing a different song right now, but I watched as they sung that last song, I watched as some of you begin to break under the presence of God. But you needed to hear that it's not over. You haven't gone too far. You haven't walked too far away. You're not so damaged that God doesn't want you. you you've not reached the end of your rope. You're here. And God wants to do a miracle in your life. And from the front to the back and side to side, I hallow these grounds. And I say this entire sanctuary becomes an altar for you and I to spend in the presence of God. For you to lift up hands in his presence. For you to let tears flow in his presence. And for you to speak to him right now. And you need to tell him, I'm not done I'm not done. I limped in, Lord, but would you help me get back to the place I need to be? It's not over. It's not over. It's not finished. It's not.